And something I believe in is that you won't be a value unless you live by your values, mm. right? So you, you can't really help somebody unless you, A, know what your values are and live by them. Because to your point, that's what's attractive. I think we're uh, an age where people are like, don't know what they stand for, what they believe in. And when you see someone doing something, you're like, that's really cool. Or you have a lot of respect for her or whatever they're doing is incredible. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. I am super excited for this episode because just even the last few minutes talking off camera, I just love talking to Graham Cochran. Every time I've been able to have a conversation with him, my mind just gets expanded. And I don't think today's going to be any different for you guys. And I will say one thing too, the first time that I met Graham, I had the opportunity to share with him. Um, he has had a major, major impact on my oldest son, Dylan, on his life. And Dylan was part of um, his coaching program and read his book. And Dylan had uh, shared his book with me. I've, I've read Graham's book and I highly encourage you to go get your hands on that. Um, and basically anything that Graham does, I, I would endorse. But the fact that Graham, you've had such an impact on, um, you know, one of my children's lives in the way that you have. I mean, Dylan is a successful uh, wake surfer. He's a pro wake surfer. He's got an online community that you've helped. Um, your, your thinking and teaching really helped him build that. Um, everything that he's done in that whole space. And like, he's just a Kajabi fan. That all is because of you and your teachings, man. So welcome to the episode. Oh man, thanks for having me. And that was, thanks for sharing that when we first met, like literally I bumped into you at this event and you looked at my name tag and you said, I think my son like follows your stuff. I think I know exactly who you are. And we were having this weird moment. And when you, you and, and, and Kara shared, like, I, I, and I put the pieces together, it was one of those moments of like, this is why I love doing what I'm doing because I didn't know you guys up to that point. I had never met Dylan at that point. And yet something I put out in the world was not only enjoyable, but it was useful for him to achieve his goals and his dreams. And it was, you gave me such a gift. Like, it was so cool to hear that, that I was impacting your son. And he's a great dude. I've since been able to connect with him and he's doing great things. Just got married as we were talking about. So it's so exciting, but it's it's wild, man. I love doing content because you never know who you're going to impact. Yeah. And you know, so many times it, you, you don't really get to hear the, you know, the the depth of the impact that you make. And exactly. um, it, it's always great to just be able to sit back. I was literally, uh, we were out on the lake yesterday with some friends of mine and Dylan was giving us all lessons. And, you know, one of the guys was just asking me, he's like, you know, what, what's like, where's, what's Dylan's trajectory here? Cause again, he's a pro wake surfer, but I doubt if he's going to be a professional wake surfer when he's 40 or 50 years old. Right. And the fact that you know, he was able to connect with you, I think it was three or four years ago that he really started like looking at your stuff. And um, the fact that he's been able to build that online present and presence and communities and courses and, and all of that, that's not a shift that a lot of professional athletes make. And, and again, you know, he, he, he owes a lot of that to you. And he'll say that. Um, but yeah, you don't, you don't get to see it a lot. So it's, uh, it's cool to hear. Yeah, that was a huge gift. That's the way I think about it. So thank you. Well, let's jump into, I want you to just kind of give us some background, um, you know, 
where you came from. I didn't even realize this until I was doing some deeper stalking on you. I didn't even know what your first business was, which is pretty interesting. But why don't you just jump in and give us a little bit of background, tell us like what the journey looked like. And the one thing that I know we're going to get into today is just really the evolution of the mindset around, you know, time freedom and financial freedom. Yep. That's a big component of really what I'm here to do with, with the Investing for Freedom podcast. And I always say, this is more of a how come podcast, not a how to podcast. So mm. like I never get in the weeds on, you know, what does investing look like or what's the best way to get a property under contract? It's more about like, you know, like, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. What's it really all about? Oh, I, I love that. And I think, I think the story lines up with kind of how you think about time freedom and investing. So for the thought being everybody, you start with the most obvious thing that you know. So like, what is the, the the dream you have when you were a kid or the, like to Dylan's point is good at wake surfing. Like what's the skill you have or what's the career you think you want? Like you just, you triangulate around whatever you think you want to do. And for me growing up, it was music. Like I knew I was a singer. I was talented. People, you know, validated that. I loved music, wrote songs, got a guitar, you know, was in the silly middle school bands, did battle the bands, was in high school bands. And, and I got to college and I was like, I'm, I, I'm, I, long story short, I'll skip the story about college. I didn't want to go because I just wanted to be a rock star. But my, my parents kind of forced me to go and my grandfather had saved money for me to go. And so I was like, I will go, but I'm going to play around with, in recording studios and get an audio engineering degree so I can just play rock star for four years and, and get a degree. But I'm not going to use the degree because I'm going to get a record deal in college or by the time I graduate. And I'm going to go do that. And I'm either going to become mega famous and it's going to be amazing or I'm a struggle like most musicians, but at least I'll be able to make somewhat of a living doing what I wanted to do because I didn't want to sit in front of a desk. And so that was all I knew about my life until age 22, that dream crashed uh, when I realized that it, what I thought was not really like a, an easy process. I knew it was going to take work, but I, I, I was just confident that this is who I was supposed to be. When the deals weren't coming in, we, were, we made record with a producer out of Nashville. We shopped it around. I had, I had mentors, I had help, and, and we had connections, and everyone, no one was really that interested. And I had a couple of development deals that were offered to me, which is not really a deal. It's like, we'll sign you, but we won't pay you. We'll see how you do, and then we'll throw money behind you. And, and I, I was engaged to Shay at the time, my wife. To, to be married at young. So I was like, I actually, I need this to be my paycheck. Like I was banking on a job. I can't, I can't play this game for five years of not getting paid and hope that you'll, you'll pay me. And so that dream kind of died and I realized, wow, this is not going to happen. And so for four years, I just wandered like, well, I'll just get a job. I'll be a good husband. We'll eventually have kids. I'll serve in my church. I'll just kind of keep my head down. And I stopped dreaming about doing what I wanted to do. I, I just, it, I wrote a narrative in my head of like, well, that was stupid. I was kind of embarrassed, honestly, told everybody, this is what I'm doing. Um, and it didn't work out. And so fast forward to 20, 2009, we moved to Tampa from Virginia to help a friend start a church. We just picked up, got jobs. We're like, I'll, I'll come help be the worship leader guy and just volunteer. And, and when we got down here, bought a house, had our, had our first daughter and we, yeah, and then I lost my second job. So in the middle of the global recession. So you, you remember that was, that was a crazy time back then, 08, 09. And so it was hard to get a job and it was hard to get the one I had. I lost that. And here I was stuck. And I was at this crossroads of, I don't really want to go get another job because I don't want to be, this is not what I meant to, was meant to do. But now I have, you know, a kid and a wife and a mortgage. And what do I do? And so how I got into business was, I felt like the Lord was like, well, hey man, what skill do you have? And I was like, well, 
I can record music. I mean, that's what I studied in college. And I'm a musician. I was kind of doing that as a side hustle for extra money to save up for like a down payment on a house. And so we saved up. I just did made some records in the evenings and weekends. I was like, I can do that, but it's not a full-time living. And I felt like, like maybe this was my chance to go all in on that. And so what I started up with was a blog and a YouTube channel as a way I thought to get some extra leads online and get some awareness on my, what I was doing and build up a freelance business. And long story short, what that turned into was a content business. I had no idea what that was in 2009, 2010. I was on YouTube long before a lot of people were doing tutorials on YouTube. I didn't know that I was just doing what I knew how to do. But what ended up happening was audience building, like what Dylan's been done, doing audience building. And, and where I'll stop is like, that's how I got my first business is called The Recording Revolution. But I was teaching musicians how to record music and what gear to buy. But what I realized then Mike, and what I really believe in now, and I think you're doing it too, is building an audience is like building another asset. Like the audience is the asset because when you have an audience of people who love what you do, they're really interested in what you do, they tune in regularly, you're warming this audience, priming the pump, and then you can monetize that audience in a variety of different ways, which is what I teach people how to do now. But without that warm audience of people who like you, know you, like everything in business, trusts you, uh, are familiar with you, um, you can't do anything. So I learned that, man, talk about diversification and, and you know, you were posting about multiple streams of income for millionaires. It's like average of seven or whatever it is. It's like having this audience of YouTube subscribers or email list or podcast listeners to me is the most valuable audience I have. It's not only made a lot of money for me, but it can continue to print money different ways, even if the market shifts, because I still have the audience. I love that you say that, that, you know, with, with the audience, because I actually wrote something down a, a few minutes ago, you know, it's always easier to connect the dots backwards, obviously. But I, I talk to people all the time that, you know, in your case, your back's against a wall, you've got to go do something like what am I good at? And I love um, the title of your book, it's, uh, it's how to get paid for what you know. And I love what you said there, because you initially when you thought and you were an early adopter, but when you first started thinking about this, like you're, you, th you looked at it as, as like a, a lead gen thing. Right. But then it becomes like you become this voice. And the one thing that I was thinking about is like so many people fail to launch because I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of the guys that's like, it just throw the parachute on, jump out the plane. We'll figure it out on the way down. Right. And it's like, and sometimes I forget that, but so many people are frozen and they're paralyzed. And I think so many people have this idea that, you know, my idea has to be perfected or, or, you know, once I launch this business, I can never shift and change. We were talking about this a little bit off camera, like pivot times. Mm. I mean, I've pivoted so many times in my life. Um, my first business was like a, a 10 year run. And then I started seeing like, you know, two and three year runs where I'd feel this shift happening. And so anyway, I think, I think one of the things that I would like you to address is the idea that, you know, it has to be perfect or, mm. or, I have to have it all figured out. Or once I do this, I'm going to be at it forever. And, and then maybe tie it into the audience thing too. Cause I was talking with a guy the other day that he's got a hundred million dollar business and he's kind of like, it's on autopilot. Basically he's got an executive team and he's like, I kind of want to start a podcast and I kind of want to start doing, you know, content. And he's like, I, I, I have a lot to teach, but I don't really know what I'm going to do with this. And I'm like, well, just start doing it because to your point with the audience, I just don't think you can ever go wrong having an audience, right? Dude, that's gold. That's it. You can never go wrong. You don't have to know what to do with that audience yet. 
And also the process of building an audience is an idea generation process in and of itself. Like you, you're, there's the Latin phrase, like, and I don't know what it is in the Latin, which just sounds stupid, but to write is to think, right? And so by, by creating is when you like self-discover. So when you write something out, you realize what you actually believe in and think about when you create content, like every, I mean, I don't, I've written like a thousand blog posts. I've done thousands of videos and podcasts. Every time I create a piece of content, I'm not only learning about what I believe, but when people engage with it, I learn what they believe and what they care about. And so you, I would never know what products to sell if I didn't have content first and engage with the audience building to learn who are these people? What are they really, they say they want this, but the more I put content out about this, they really watch that and they engage with that. And so that tells me something. So I, to, to your point, I think people are afraid. Um, I think I was afraid. I mean, I, I think I write about this in the book. I said, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I mean, that was like the first line in chapter one, because I, to me, entrepreneurship sounded risky. Like my whole thing is flipped, right? I'm, I'm a late adopter to entrepreneurship in a way. I, I would never, I didn't know an entrepreneur growing up. I had an engineer for a dad and a school teacher for a mom and nobody, everyone was military or just really basic, reliable jobs I understood. And so I didn't even know an entrepreneur. And so I wanted to be a musician. I was the outlier. I mean, I'm writing a new book right now called Rebel. Like I was the rebel that was like, I don't want to do a traditional job. And I, the alternative to me was being an artist, which I'm learning now an artist and an entrepreneur are pretty much the same thing. We, mm -hmm. we both do a risky thing of creating something for the benefit of somebody else. And we hope that we get paid on the back end from the creation. We create first and hope we get served. You know, we serve first and hope we get paid second. But um, I wanted to be an artist. But dude, it wasn't until the, the recession and to your point, my back against the wall, I had to do something. And I needed mm -hmm. that. I needed that because I don't think I would have ever started. So I, it was my scariest moment. We were on food stamps for 18 months during that process. And I hate, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was like, what am I doing with my family? Like my friends were four years into their law career or their doctor career. And I, I was, you know, I was unemployed at 26. And so, but I would never change it because it forced me to do the thing I never would have thought. And to your point, I didn't know what I was building. I didn't, it wasn't even like starting a new career and like become a real estate investor. And it's scary, but at least there's Mike's podcast and other people's resources to at least learn what the model is. I didn't know what model it was. I didn't know what I was building on the way out of the, the plane. But you know, I feel like the Holy Spirit's always leading me. I made some stupid mistakes, but I, I, I you know, the audience building, that's, that's the best thing I ever did. So while I screwed up with like, what is the right offer or the right way to sell? Or like, I could figure that out because at least I was helping people along the way for free, building that audience and learning. And then to your point about pivoting, I've pivoted multiple times since. And I'm, I'm in the middle of like imagining new things that I feel like I want to do. I want to speak on stages more. I want to write more books. I want to help people in deeper ways than just make money. I want them to make a life that counts and to figure out who the heck they are. So I, I get lost in the, well, I was known for this thing. I, and, and then I was known for this thing. And am I really going to be something else? Because there's a whole identity conversation there we could get into. But I, I do think that it's, we get in our own way and, I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but I learn as I go. And I think it does take a little bit of a, a faith step to say, well, it's okay if it's messy. And am I okay with letting bad things happen? Like Tim Ferriss says, am I okay with it being a little messy? And to the level of your tolerance for that, I think is the level of your ability to see success. Yeah, so good. You know, so you were YouTube, like, was that literally 08, 09? Is that like the time period that oh, you... Oh, nine. Yeah, I started shooting videos and I uploaded them in January of 2010. Wow. And 
it, it's so crazy because you were like such an early adopter. And I'm thinking back to that. I mean, I was only, I was four years into building a brick and mortar HVAC company, right? And I was like, if I had known then what I know now about, you know, online marketing, building the audience, the reach that we could have, the blogs that you're, and and sometimes I, you know, a lot of us think that this is like three or four years old. I mean, you've been doing this for quite a long time. The reason why I'm bringing that up though, I was just talking to a former business partner of mine. He, he's the guy that actually bought me out of my first business. And they still don't, they don't do Facebook. They don't run ads. They don't, he's like, I need more leads. I need to get more leads. And I'm like, well, what are you doing for marketing? And he's like, well, we have some billboards and, you know, we do some of the, and I was like, there's still so many business owners and people out there that are listening right now that think that, you know, maybe a podcast or writing a blog or a YouTube channel or, or whatever is not for them. And I, I think we're living in a day and age where, again, you were an early adopter, but I think if you're not 15 years later, if you're not utilizing, you know, this online mediums for whatever your business is, you're probably missing out. I mean, this is where the future is going, right? Well, for sure. I mean, this is the thing is I'm, I'm not that smart, but the one thing I did know back in 2009 was um, I was in a new town. And so I didn't know anybody in Tampa at the time in terms of like who would hire me to come record them locally or I could mix them. So I knew I could do remote work and I thought, well, I need to get on the internet. So I can at least open, like double my chances of somebody finding me. And I figured the only way somebody would find me if they're not looking for me actively is to show up in search results. Like that's all I think of. I was like, how else do I find stuff? Like, uh, you know, a, an audio engineer or someone to master my album or or whatever. So I figured, where do search results come up? They come up on google.com and then they come up on YouTube, which are both now owned by Alphabet, same company. Because that's all YouTube is, is a search engine. That's why I'm big and bullish on YouTube. It's not a social media platform primarily. It's a search engine first. And I'm trying to dress it up as a social media platform to compete with TikTok just because it's not as popular in the sense of the trend of TikTok. But what makes YouTube better than all of them is the, the platform underneath it. It's a giant search engine. It's powerful. So that's all I knew was like, get where the search engines are. So at the very least, you should have a, a website and, and then ideally a blog because a blog is like fresh. It's like updating your website every week. You know, it's like it tells the algorithm like there's something new on Graham's website every week because it's a new entry. But YouTube is the same thing. It's just in video format. And so I think, I think the great news is anything works. There's a lot of ways to work. But to your point, I think people, maybe, maybe this is helpful. People obsess over the micro trend of like, is it TikTok? Is mm. it Instagram? Is it YouTube? And, they, and that's, that doesn't, that's not what matters. What matters is the macro trend, which is, to your point, get your freaking business online and be where people are. And, you, and then you can pivot. Like I have clients that I, I don't do anything on LinkedIn. I don't even know what LinkedIn is. <laughs> it's like so weird to me. It's corporate -y. But I have clients that their target avatar is on LinkedIn all day long. And they'll read articles on LinkedIn. I didn't know, know you could write articles on LinkedIn. And so like, well, then you should be on LinkedIn. But the concept is the macro trend is the same be where people are hanging out online. And what do you do there? You add massive value. You show that you've got value to offer and you teach and you share whatever you know. And that that's what brings people into your world. You know, it's interesting. Um, Kara and I are speaking at an event uh, next month in, in Nashville. Um, this this lady's event, she, she teaches LinkedIn at the end of the day. And I had her on my podcast, um, I don't know, two weeks ago. And she's like, do me a favor, search yourself. And so I did. And I'd never even noticed this, but in when I when I Google Mike Ayala, um, one, two, three, four, five down is my LinkedIn profile. 
Wow. And she said, a lot of people don't realize this, but LinkedIn is also um, a search engine. And I was there like, I, this is the first time that, so, and the only reason that I bring that up is because a lot of our, like my audience, you know, they don't want to be on TikTok. They're, if they're on Instagram, it's because, you know, they like Instagram. But when I start thinking about what you said about, you know, just show up somewhere, if LinkedIn's natural to you, if it's YouTube, whatever, like wherever you want to be, then that's probably where you should be. But I think the thing is, is just get started. And I, Karen and I were having this conversation the other day, and I'm just curious your thoughts on this, because when somebody first starts thinking about, you know, putting content out, I think we get wrapped up in our heads about, well, what am I going to talk about? And, and one of the things that I think is really anchoring for me, and I hear this in your conversation all the time, to me, it's not necessarily about, you know, the outcome or the revenue or income or even just lead gen. Of course, we all want more leads. But to me, I'm just like, what do you value? What are your values? I think if somebody would just pause and go through a values exercise, like, what are your top five values in life? For me, like, freedom is my top value. And I don't just mean financial freedom. I mean, the freedom to be able to do what I want on a daily basis, be with who I want. Geographic freedom is a big thing for me. I want to be able to, I want to be able to go wherever I want. And when I just start thinking about my values, those translate into talking points for me. Mm. And this has become really simple for me because when I get stuck on, you know, talking points or copy or, you know, how do I find my avatar? I, I get lost in my head because it just messes me up. But when I start thinking about what are my values, what do I value and what do mm. I actually want to talk about? And I just do that. I find that it works. I think that's brilliant. And it's funny because it's something that I, I, I believe in. I literally was, was writing some content out the other day. And something I believe in is that you won't be a value unless you live by your values. Mm. Right. So you, you can't really help somebody unless you a know what your values are and live by them, because to your point, that's what's attractive. I think we're uh, in an age where people are like, don't know what they stand for, what they believe in. And when you see someone doing something, you're like, that's really cool. Or you have a lot of respect for her or whatever they're doing is incredible. What I think you're seeing a lot of times is them living their values with purpose. And there's this like humble confidence of like, they know what they want in life and what they don't want. And they're not braggadocious. They're just like, I really, I care about my kids and having time for my kids. So I only work, you know, let's say 20 hours a week, somebody might do. And when they do that and they say that, you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's attractive. What are you seeing? You're seeing someone who knows their values is living by their values. And I think that is valuable in and of itself. So I think you're spot on. It's interesting because Kara always says, be firm in your values and flexible with your goals. And we were just talking to us. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's, it, it, it anchors so much for me. And even what we were talking about with the audience and somebody that might be listening, that's like, you know, you feel like when we're goal-driven, if the idea is I'm going to start this business and I'm going to spend the rest of my life in it, then there's some, there's some fear around that and perfection and we got to get it right. But if what we're really saying is what we value is freedom or the ability to, you know, not be stuck in a job or whatever. So like when we anchor the value, if we realize that like we can be flexible with our goals, but firm in our values, it doesn't really matter. I, I, I'm fully convinced at this point in time, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life in any one business. Mm. Um, and I think there's just some freedom in that. When Karen and I were speaking to this group of couples at uh, Brandon Turner's uh, Better Life Marriage Conference, we asked them, we said, how many of you guys have done goal setting? And like 95% of the hands go up, right? How many of you guys have done goal setting together as a couple? Like 
75% of the hands go up. How many of you guys are clear on what your values are? Like two hands. Mm. And I'm like, there's such a conversation around this because I think we're so goal-driven and I think that's what causes us to get so wrapped up and miserable and messed up. And I just love what we were even talking about off, off camera and the ability to pivot. Mm. So how do you, how do you navigate that? Man, so here's something I believe, um, because I've experienced it and I, and now I see other people doing it. I just had a coaching client yesterday who was asking me about this. And so I'm like seeing the down, like, this is something maybe people need to receive. I think there's something that we all go through. Uh, at some point in life, and like for lack of a better term, I call it an identity crisis intersection. And so let's say you're chasing after that dream or the thing you think you want. It could be a business, it could be a, a marriage, it could be a career. It could, I don't know what it is, but you, you, you want this thing, the dream dies for whatever reason. Mine was my music, rock star dream died. You know, um, I, have a, I just talked to the guy this morning whose marriage died unexpectedly, and it's like, wow. That, then the, what happens when a dream dies, because we're so identity focused, we attach our identity to a dream or a, whatever that is. When the dream dies, our identity falls apart. We don't know who the heck we are. Who am I without that marriage? Who am I if I'm not the, the musician that I told everyone I was going to be? This is me speaking. Uh, even when I pivoted from the recording revolution first business to my personal brand teaching online business, I was like, who am I? Like, that wasn't a dream that died, but I had this identity crisis of like, I'm known as this thing. Who the heck am I? And so typically when we get to this identity crisis intersection, we have one or two choices. We can either go the route of conformity, which is what we tend to do. Like, well, that was dumb. You know, I'm just going to fall in line. I'm going to hide a little bit. And the world wants you to conform, not because the, the world's malicious. It's just there's a current of conformity that's flowing so hard. And you know this, right? You're, you're, you're very much a rebel in the sense, this is my latest book is going to be called Rebel. But you're, you're pushing against the tide of conformity because you're not a W-2 person. You're not in one business. You, you're, you're, you're so off the map of what average is and what vanilla is. And the world wants you to be vanilla. But that's when our dream dies, we don't know who we are. The easiest thing is to just slide right back into that current. And that is a choice. And I, I did that for four years after my dream died. It was not fulfilling. The other choice you have is to, well, the dream died. Who am I? I don't know. But you can dream again. That's the other choice. You can dream again. And you can, and you can follow after something else. And so either you lose your identity because a dream died, or you have what I had too, which was the second time I pivoted, was this itch of like, oh my gosh, I want to do this other new thing. It like, that sounds so fun. For me, it was business coaching. I had an article drop on me like in 2015 on Business Insider. It was a random thing. And it somehow blew up for like 24 hours. Um, and like Yahoo ran it, a bunch of outlets, outlets ran it. And all of a sudden, I was getting emails and calls from people I didn't know who were like, hey, I don't know anything about music or whatever you do. But like, how you're making the kind of money you're making online in this way, I got to figure out what that business model is. And could you coach me? And so I started coaching people for free for like two years because it was just fun. And I was like, you got to know this business model. Like it's not an influencer model. It's not like, it's not ads. No, this is content and leads and email funnel. And I was explaining everything and it was so much fun. And I was like, oh crap, I like this. <laughs> mm. I like this. I want to, and I want to spend my time doing this, but I'm known already as the audio guy in my little niche. I was the biggest YouTube channel in that space. And, and everything was comfortable and I was afraid to pivot because my identity crisis came up in a different way, which I had attached it so hard to that one business, probably because it was the first thing I was successful at too. And I just didn't want to depart from what maybe was the secret sauce. I had some fears of like, 
was I just lucky? And will I be like Michael Jordan trying to like leave basketball and do baseball and you suck it? You got to go back to basketball with your head. I mean, he still went back and crushed it, but it's like, I had that fear of, can I only really do one thing? Who am I again to start a new thing? So just sharing my experience, I think, and I had a client yesterday who's making a hard pivot too. He was a big worship leader in a really big mega church, really well known. And he has a heart to, to coach leaders and not even just worship leaders. And he's like, but I'm known as this worship guy. Everybody knows me as this guy. And I was like, dude, they are not going to understand that you want to pivot this new thing you want to go do. They're not going to like it, not because they're mean, because they just already know you as that one thing. And you might not even like it because you already know yourself as that one thing. But you can't deny the dream God's put on your heart and the way you know you can go serve people powerfully. But once you do, and once you get some reps and some data points of, oh, I am this thing now, everyone's going to be like, oh, that makes so much sense that you're doing that. That's great. And they're going to applaud you. But it's just that, that tension of when do you make the leap, either because other people don't believe in you, or you don't believe in yourself. So good, man. You know, as you're saying that too, I'm just thinking about, uh, we talked about my my oldest son, Dylan, getting married and my middle son, Tim. He works in the business with me. He's got his own business doing, he went to audio engineering school, by the way, um, which was kind of crazy. That's but, awesome. Um, yeah, and then my youngest daughter, she's 19. She just moved to Ireland. But as you're saying all of that, like when your back's against a wall and and you're making moves like you know you, you know you have to run forward but there's another version like you're talking about the worship leader or me the reason why I brought up the kids you know Karen and I've spent the last 10 well really our entire adult life even the way we built our business is just you know build the business so that I can be present I didn't miss football games and we traveled and our kids have seen the world and but everything that we've done the last you know 23 years has really been around those kids. And what I started realizing the last year uh, and really the last six months is like literally having a conversation about when you build a version of yourself that's a good version of yourself, whether it's a worship leader or a parent or you know, you're selling a business. When I sold my first business, I often say it was the best and worst day of my life. But like with these kids, I'm just realizing that my default answer to everything was no for so many years. No, I can't do that. I have to be home for dinner. Um, there's all these mindsets that are good mindsets. They're a good version of me. I built this, you know, from the mm -hmm. ground up with intention. They're, these are values driven things. And then I start finding myself like bored and almost, I'm not saying depressed, but like almost feeling, you know, like no purpose. And no, I'm like, what is going on with me? A version of me that I worked really hard to build is literally dead. Mm. Not that I'm not a dad still, not that I'm not, of course. you know, a, a parent to them or whatever, but like our life completely transitioned. Mm. And so again, when our back's against a wall and we know we have to run towards something, I think that's almost easier. What's mm. hard is when we're, when we're pivoting and we're laying to rest this version of ourselves that whether it's a, you know, one year, five year, 10, 20 year version going into a new season and you have to lay that version of you to rest, like literally, it, it's almost like there's a death. Yeah. Like there's a version of me that's dying. Man, that's, I feel that. I mean, that's been my last 12 months have been like, I remember a year ago, I was like sitting around one day and I was like, and here's one of my challenges. And I've been working through this in counseling is being honest with myself, mm -hmm. right? Like Jamie Winship calls confession, he calls it truth telling. Like, can you just tell the truth about what you actually feel or believe or think. And I, I have like 
realize over years of how layered my persona is of like, I'm not even honest with myself sometimes about what I want. And there's so many reasons why. And a lot of them go back to that first dream dying that messed me up and the identity of like, well, crap, I, I maybe I shouldn't want things. And I don't want to get my hopes up. So long story short, like last summer, I'm sitting around, I'm like, man, I finally got honest with myself. I think I'm pretty bored too. <laughs> I was like, uh, everything's humming along. Like I've achieved like I wasn't going to make any money. So like I achieved like way more than I ever thought possible. The family's good. I'm good. But why do I feel like there's so much more I, I could give the world that would light me up, but I'm not doing it. But I don't want to mess up a good thing. I think you said it like it's harder to, to kill a good thing than it is to a bad thing, obviously, or to when you're forced to do something new. And so I've had a, multiple good things in the last 14 years. And Every time I've stepped away from something good or pivoted or like I shut down a mastermind earlier this year that I'd run for a couple of years, you know, that was like a multi six figure a year income stream, just that. And it's like, and it was easy. It was the easiest thing. And it was the coolest people ever. People are like, why would you shut that down? I was like, I just, I don't really, it wasn't what's lighting me up anymore. And, but it, but I struggle though. Why would I kill a good thing? And so I think there's, I don't know, there's definitely something there. And for me, I'm realizing that I, if I can get honest with myself about what I really desire, um, then I can start the process of figuring out what I'm really meant to go do next. Because I, I think I help people best when I'm really fired up about the thing that I'm helping them with. And when that fire starts to dim a little bit and I get into like, should we just like keep things the same and like just chill and just that's, I'm learning now after 14 years, that's a red flag for me, for Graham to be like, no, 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 this is, this is where the death begins. So like you can either pivot or make a change now, or it will eventually die because you're getting complacent. You don't realize it, but you're like, we're finally getting comfortable, but now's the time to chase after where your heart is singing. And really, because when I think you're God, you know, God gives you desires, you know, Psalm 37, four, like delight yourself in the Lord, he give you the desires of your heart. What I think that's really saying is like, God gives us desires, like he imputes them into us. And there's a reason why, because everyone's wired differently. So that those desires, those geniuses, those ideas are meant to serve somebody else. And in doing so, it will light you up. That's why people do all kinds of random stuff that I would never want to do, but they like doing it. I'm like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I'm learning is like, don't be afraid of your desires changing. If it's a new business, you know, like there's some desires that shouldn't change. Like if you're married, <laughs> like you're married, like that's, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about like the, the in service of others, like when you know, when you want to make a pivot. It's just, it's an exciting and scary time, but press into the desire. And I'm trying to do that as well. And take, take baby steps, like do the next logical thing. See what you think. Like I want to speak more. So I started speaking more this year. Um, and it's been so impactful and so fun. And it's like, well, yeah, duh, this, this is exactly what I want to do. I wrote a book. It helped a lot of people. I'm like, I, I want to write a second book. And so I'm, it was baby steps, but now I'm speeding it up. Let's go hard after speaking and writing and more high level thought leadership because I, I love helping people make money, but I really, to your point, I really help like people getting to live by their values and, and see how the money and the business fits in line with the family. And like, I think we're so aligned. I mean, I'm a few years behind you, uh, but we have the same value. I say no to so many things, even things I really want to do because I got to be there for my kids because I only have a few more summers with them in, in my house. And so I think I'm excited about all of that kind of stuff, but I got to run after it while the fire's hot. Otherwise, I'll just die the slow death of pretending like everything's okay. And it's not really okay if you just stay stagnant. Yeah, that's so good. And I think that that's why just the, the, the theme of the values 
I mean, every single one of us can create goals and, and chase our goals. And, but I think this is the real, you know, when you're talking about, you know, what lights you up and, um, I'm excited for, you know, the, the, the work that you're going to continue to do, but what lights you up? Like what, what inspires you? Because honestly, if it's, if it's money or if it's, you know, I have a goal to get a new house or my, my, my mother and father-in-law are always jokingly saying, you know, when I, when I just get that new fence in, I'll be happy. (laughs) When I, when I get that new car, I'll just be happy. And it's like, I think this is where we miss it. And I want to kind of pivot. Um, cause again, I don't think it's about, you know, your W2 job or a business. None of those things are going to make us happy if we're not happy within ourselves first and we're not happy with our life and the things that we're accomplishing and even what we're pouring back into. You said something about when you were speaking at the Kajabi event, and I I guess I'll just kind of kick it with this. One of my early coaches and mentors told me, and I think I was maybe, you know, a year and a half, two years into business. He said, if your business isn't helping you achieve your personal goals, you just own a job. And I think there's so many people out there that think that, you know, they hate their life because they hate their job. Or when I, when I, if I could just start a business, I would be happy. But you and I were talking about how many business owners are actually not happy too. And I think there's a big underlying theme with all of this. It's like, it isn't about the job or the business or how we make money. It's about the purpose and the passion behind it. Yeah, I think people get this backwards, right? Like everyone I talk to who's in business or has, you know, no income ceiling, let's say, and they're chasing more income, they think, in not so many words, but pretty much, if I grow the business to a certain level, whatever that level is for you, then I will be happy. Or and what that translates is I will I'll have the life I want. So they're focused so hard on growing the business for a purpose. Like it will give me and my family the life we want. But they've got it backwards, right? They're like, if I grow the business, then I'll have life. And what we were discussing is that's not going to happen. You're going to just make a, a more profitable prison that you're trapped in. Uh, and because you're still the same person with the same issues and you've got the model backwards. You have to flip it. You got to make your business life-giving from day one, has to give you life from day one. And then it will actually grow because I think the way a business grows is actually you being able to show up every day at your highest, best self, like fresh, excited, clear-headed, um, and not operating out of fear, you know, our, our mutual friend, John Gordon, not operating out of fear, uh, and that creates separateness, right? It's, it's all about like, operating out of confidence and faith and who you're there to serve. And you can't do that if you're like struggling internally. So, Mm. but when you are operating with like the confidence, I know who I'm here to serve. I know my values and I'm not worried about things that ironically, your business grows. You're more magnetic. You make better decisions. Uh, I think there's a spiritual element there that's hard to quantify, but like, so they miss it by saying, I'm going to grow it and then I'll have the money or the then I can hire people and then I'll have the free time. And what you've done so well is like, how can I guard my time now like I workshopped with these people at, the, at that Kajabi conference. I literally said, you need to pull out a piece of paper right now. Let's map out your week. And first, let's create an ideal work week based off of the, the times you're not working. Like that's the mm-hmm. first thing in your calendar is when are you not working? And yeah. people don't know what that is. Business owners don't, they mean like, because like you can't say day off. They're like, well, I don't take days off. When are you purposely not working? Are there days? Are there evenings? Are there hours? And, and, and you have to then reverse engineer it. So whether it's time with your family, time to exercise, time to get away, time for solitude, whatever your thing is, like you have to engineer it first. And, and here's how I learned this. When I, when I talk about like back against the wall, like people ask me, because what I've loosely been known for the last five years is like 
being able to build multiple seven figure companies and work five hours a week. Like that's what like the, the articles want to pin like the, the, the title on. And that's what people want to focus on. And it's something I really believe in. Cause I think really the, the theme is I, I want to own my time, not just make lots of money. But what I get asked a lot of times is like, well, that's really nice that you can do that now, Graham. But I bet when you started, you had to hustle really hard. You're probably put in what, you know, 60, 78 hours a week. And what I tell people is that the most I've ever worked in my business in a week is 32 hours a week. That's where I started. And I worked it down to five. And the reason that is, is because when I started my business was when we started planning a church and we were all volunteer. And so Saturdays and Sundays, as the guy leading the worship band, I lost most of my weekends because we were set up teardown church at a university campus. And so Saturdays, it was wake up at eight, go to the storage facility with a band, load up all the equipment in the trailer, take it to a rehearsal space, set up the band equipment, rehearse for two hours, break it back down, take it back to the the storage unit. And then it's one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. And that's I whatever Saturday's left is my Saturday. And then Sunday do the exact same thing, but for actual church. So I never got a day off. And I was building this business. And I had a mentor early on, who was actually just an old professor from college, who was a, a you know, a guy that cared about me and Shay. And he was like, man, when's your day off? It's like, I, I mean, I get a half day on Saturday, I get a half day on Sunday. He's like, that's not a that doesn't count. Like you need a full day off to spend with just your family. When are you going to do that? I'm like, well, I, I, I guess there's no other days. He's like, you're going to have to take Friday off or something. I said, bro, I'm starting a business. And I don't know anything about business. How I can't build a business in seven days a week from scratch, let alone four. Like that doesn't even make mm. any sense. And he challenged me. He challenged me. And, and in big time, you know, as a Christian, he's like, look, dude, there's a reason why God says six days you should work and one day you should. So like test him in that and try it out. And so he, he scared the crap out of me. And I, I respected him enough to be like, I'll give it a whirl. And so from day one, I've never worked a Friday in my life since 14 years ago. I, that was the start of it. We call them the family fun Fridays. Now it's just date days with me and Shay because the kids are in school. But uh, that's how it started. And it was a challenge of putting these boundaries in place that I thought was impossible. But I've learned that boundaries are what actually create innovation, and creativity. Mm. And it's like more of like Robert Kiyosaki. I love, I love Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But I, what I love in that book is instead of the, I can't afford this question, his dad would say, how could I afford this? Like mm. turn it into a question and put a how on it. So for me, it was, I can't start a business in four days a week. And I turned it into, well, how could I start a business in four days a week? And it forces you to become efficient and be creative and try weird things that nobody else is doing. And it's worked and it's, it's worked twice now. So uh, I just think that's what people are missing. They, they think life will come when the fence is in, when the kids are out of, co- out of the house, when the business hits a million or 10 or 100, whatever it is, or when I hire that person to replace me, Yes, maybe that's a goal, but like, how could you make it life-giving now so that you win every day instead of the, you know, waiting for the day to win? That's so good, man. And I, I was listening to Peter Atia the other day, and not that this directly correlates, but he was making the statement, you know, I don't think that over the course of, I don't know, 170 billion people that have lived or whatever, he said, I don't think there's ever anybody that was getting ready to die that said, I wish I had less muscle on my body. And the the only reason I'm bringing that up is it's like, we're so complex. You were talking earlier about, you know, like the entrepreneur and the creative. And we think by doing more, we, we, I mean, they're like, we have, we feel like we have to go the hard route. And in reality, Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you say is like, it's, it's so counterintuitive, just like what Peter was talking about. But the simplicity is like, I'm pretty sure that you're never going to be, you know, sad that you put on more muscle. I'm pretty sure that you're never going to be sad that you haven't worked a Friday. But I think our mind tells us the opposite. Like, mm. oh, if I, 
there's so many excuses and there's so many reasons why this will never work in my town or people will never buy that from me at that price point or all these limiting beliefs when in reality, it's probably the simple, um, straightforward answer that's really the truth. Yeah, we don't want it to be though, right? We want it to be something more complex. Yeah, it's crazy. Digging a little bit more on the Kajabi thing where you were, you were talking about how many business owners just get burnt out and what do you, what do you think is, what's the solution to that? I mean, you said it, I think it's values. I don't think people know. I, I think outside of it, in the void of not having clear values that you, and if you're married, your spouse have come to agreement on what's naturally going to occur for you as the main value, make more money mm. or re, or have more impact or reach more people. And these aren't bad things, but like those are the only two metrics I can think of that typically will fill our days focused on if we don't have something else. And so you know what it's like, right? You, you're like, one day I want to make six figures a year and then you do it. Well, I'd like to make multiple six figures. I mean, and then a million and then, well, I made a million. I want to make two. I want to, and, and it's like, when are we going to realize that like the everything, we know this, like everybody says this, right? It just, the goalpost keeps getting pushed further, further away. So at some point, like numbers can't be the, the thing. And it's, it's the same with, I'm in the audience building world. So it's like, well, you know, why not a million subscribers on, on YouTube? Like my first channel has 650,000. It's like, they give you a plaque, I have a plaque behind me when I hit 100,000 subscribers. They don't give you a second plaque, the gold one from YouTube, until you get a million. So I'm like, well, why, why can't I have a million? And it's like, and then when I hit that, it's like, why can't I have 50 million like other people? So it's, the numbers suck because numbers just are, are infinite. You'll never, never get there. So I think those are the natural things people go to. Like I met a guy at the Kajabi conference who's got the largest dog training company in the world and he's based out of Miami and he's crushing it. And uh, I, I talked to him earlier that day. He seemed great. And then after my talk, he came up to me and he was like, bro, I'm working 70 hours a week and I don't feel like I can even get off the train. Like it's just mm. going so, I'm, it's so good. Everything's working, but I, I can't get off. It's like this momentum theory. Like once I have momentum, I can't slow it down. There's this fear of I miss, I'll miss my opportunity. This is my opportunity. I have so many YouTubers specifically who come to me who don't have a business, they have, they have a YouTube channel and, and they do brand deals. And that's a very different thing. I mean, you could say it's a business, but once the audience stops watching, they don't have a business anymore. And so, cause they don't own the audience. And so Ooh. I have so many of them coming to me and they're all stressed about the same thing. They're all like, bro, I want to slow down, but I, this is like my moment in the sun. And I feel like I have to shine as bright as I can now. Cause I know it's so fickle. Like they know the internet world is so fickle. I'm like, well, I think that's not really a reality. You could build a business that's not fickle. You got, mm. you could, I got to build a business that could last for a long time and you might have to pivot and change and, and offers change. But the way you're thinking about business, yeah, like you're screwed, but they're so afraid to slow down because the more successful you get, the harder it gets to slow down. So I think like, that's why the people just get sucked into the more and more and more. And I do it too. I do it too. And I get jealous. I see people are doing bigger numbers than me. And they only started three years ago. I've been doing this for 14 years. Like what the yeah. heck, you know? And so it's comparison, but I think you said it, you and Kara, like the values, which most people don't have, like Shay and I did this for the first time four years ago. Like we'd been married 14 years at that point. It took us 14 years into our marriage to finally come up with values. And none of them have to do with money. The only one that does is generosity. And that's about how much can we give away? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and what that can look like. But man, those values make it so much clearer to make decisions. And they help me to go like, hey, you know, if my business grows, great. If it doesn't, it's okay. It might affect some of the things I care about in terms of how much I can give or how much we could travel because that's something that we like too. But 
my values are my family, their hospitality, their generosity, their modeling uh, entrepreneurship and leadership, their, and their being, uh, we call it put in the faith bucket, like we're being a good ambassador for Jesus, like branding Jesus mm-hmm. well. Like we have a huge audience, both of her and I, that are largely secular, and we're trying to brand Christian values, like marriage, family, like generosity, humility. And so these are just things that we could do that at any level of our business. Like, so that's the beauty of having the values is like you already win as long as you make values that you actually value. And then ironically, you probably crush it and be successful because of it. Yeah, so good. Um, I'm thinking of the Ronald Reagan quote. Um, there's no, there's no limit to the amount of good that can be done if you don't care who gets the credit. So good. And, you know, when we're talking about, I'm just thinking about looking backwards and it, whether, you know, I, from a business perspective, um, I think it's an ego thing. I talk to people all the time, you know, your guy, the, the dog, we don't mean to, but it's like, we just think that we're so valuable. When I got bought out of my first business, you know, I always said, I've said this for years, like everyone's replaceable, right? But you don't think you're replaceable. Like there, <laughs> there was a part of me, like when I was getting bought out of my business, when my partner was buying me out, I'm like, it's not going to be the same. Like, oh, it's not going to be the same without me. Like it's, yep. you know, it's never, it's never going to be as good. And you know what? 10 years, 12 years later, like it's just as good. Um, and so I love that Ronald Reagan quote because, and it is a value statement, mm-hmm. but when we remove the ego from it, I think that a lot of times the things that keep us from you know, not being a slave to our business when we really break it down, it's an ego thing. Like, those, mm. you know, they'll never do it as good as me. Um, if I don't get, if I don't do this part, it's not going to get done right. And there might be parts of the business that that matters. Yeah. Um, I like what you said earlier about just e- even the time blocking exercise that you did. I think it's the same thing with like, what are the one, two, three things that you have to do? And how do we get out of everything else? But it's such a, it's so counterintuitive again, because it's like, the ego in us wants to be needed and valued and yeah. seen. Yes, uh, that's me, man. I mean, for sure. Like I'm, I'm a theater kid, music kid. And now I'm, an, like, I'm always in front of people. Like I have been my whole life. And so being seen and the applause, whether it's virtual, whether it's a like on a YouTube channel or like literally people applauding on stage, like that's what I live for. And so part of me is having to come to grips with this part of the way I'm wired is like, I love to perform. I love to give something to the people and then all artists want that validation. Like there's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But it yeah. also is like a slippery slope of like, if that's what you live for though, man, then you're going to need more and more and more of it. Like it's a drug that will just never satisfy. Like you just need to keep taking a hit. And like, I wrestle with that all the time. And so even like the pivots I've made is like, do I really want to pivot because I want to help people? Or is it because I just want more applause in a different way? And so I'm always wrestling with those questions. But if I can bring it back to values, which seems mm-hmm. to be a theme of this episode, is one of my values is uh, just encouraging people. And I, I, I'm built to encourage. And so whether it's like I had coffee with a, a guy from church yesterday and it was like he's going through like a midlife crisis and just encouraging the heck out of him, listening to him, being a sounding board, no one ever will know that I poured into this guy. No one even knows who he is or who, like, no one knows who I am. And, but like I'm living out that value there over breakfast. Mm-hmm. And then whether I'm doing it on a stage or whether I'm doing it on my podcast or I'm doing it in a, a mastermind, like, or we're just doing it here, you know, for your audience, like I, my hope is to leave everyone more encouraged and mm. empowered. Like I'm not just communicating information. That's one of the things people get wrong about this whole digital economy with info products. It's not information we're selling. 
ultimately people buy transformation. We know that, but what, what I'm doing and imputing into all of my information and content is encouragement and empowerment, making mm-hmm. people walk away from that little video or podcast episode, feeling a little bit better about their lives, speaking a little mm-hmm. bit of life into them, and then helping them walk away saying, not only do I know how to do a thing, I actually think I could do it. Like empowering somebody is one of the greatest things you could do. So at the end of the day, that's the only thing I can, if I lean on that serving and encouraging and empowering, it'll help tip the scales away from the ego cliff that I could fall off pretty easily. I'm like, like John Maxwell says, you're one step away from stupid. And I think I'm one step away from stupid any day. It's so good to know that. It's so good to know that. Well, Man, I can't thank you enough for your time. We're at the top of the hour and I want to be um, respectful of your time. Any last words? Where can people find you? Um, Just take it over. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, if you're interested in like the business model that I've been running, like some people are like, they want to understand what is the model. It's not an influencer model. Like what I've, I have a free workshop that like, it does pitch you a product at the end, like full disclosure. You don't have to buy the course, but if you were to watch the workshop itself, like it breaks down the whole business model. It's four steps and like how they all tie together. Um, it's a it's free. It's grahamcochran.com slash gift, which is like my gift to you. Like go watch a passive income workshop. It's literally what I do for both of my businesses. So go see the model and see if that's like something you want to incorporate into your business, even a service-based business. A lot of real estate investors, a lot of people are starting to incorporate a content-based element to what they do. So I would say check that out. The book also is like, if you want to get how to get paid for what you know, is the same. It's the model in depth in that book as well. Um, and otherwise, hang out with me on Instagram. That's probably the only place online I even check at the Graham Cochran. You know, just quickly on the service-based thing, I was telling my ex-partner this, like in a small town, people want to support you if they know who you are. So even at that level, like it just makes so much sense. So 100%. well, thanks again. Yeah, thanks again for coming on the show, man. Look forward to that book, The Rebel. Man, can't wait. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You're the best. Keep doing what you're doing. Cheers. Thanks, man. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.